are dismissed if you're heading down there and um, parents as well. We are rapidly coming to the end of uh, Hebrews. Uh, today we will, Lord willing, complete Hebrews chapter 12. And then um, next week, the good Lord willing, we will finish the book as we go through Hebrews 13. Um, before I really dive into the text, a um, couple of things. Not this past week, but the week before, I had a fascinating and very helpful conversation. Um, sometimes when it comes to preaching, it's very difficult to um, kind of know how it's going. or if it, I love feedback. So bottom line is, sometimes you might have said something like, good sermon to me, and I've asked a question like, Why? Uh, because I really want to know. And um, one of the challenges of preaching in the city rather than in the rural, in the rural, all my illustrations had to be was farming and agriculture. And so if I knew a little bit about that, my illustrations would go somewhere. But it's hard to use farming illustrations in the city unless you've got that history. But when you do use illustrations that you're not really... Uh, competent to use, sometimes uh, it would be good for me to hear back from you if I've made an error. And I had one of those conversations was was helpful because I was like, ah, yeah, I got to change. So please talk to me, okay? And, uh, wh- and when I'm um, using illustration, I know I've been picking on engineers over the course of, uh, we've got a few of those. Um, um, but I don't have a clue what I'm talking about, right? So help me to learn, and thank you for being gracious. Community Grace also, um, uh, as we look ahead, um, on another note, I pray that this little church, that our roots would grow deep, and that we would become a fruitful tree that would endure for generations to come. That's my prayer for this church. So long after I pack it in, that this young church will take off and continue to flourish. And sometimes when we look around and we go, we're not that big, and we go, how can that happen? I believe God can do that. I don't have any doubts with that. But we need to pray to that end. But I think one of the the critical things that we need to accomplish this year in light of that is to lay a good foundation. And one of them is this whole idea of covenant membership. So we had a meeting at the end of January. We looked at that document at that time. Some of you came back with some really good questions. I said I would get another document out. I will this week. Well, you will have a covenant emailed to you, a one-page covenant. I'm going to keep it really simple and basic. Not that those other things were wrong or, or not us, but what are you actually, if you're going to call yourself a covenant member, what are you actually agreeing to? And at the heart of it, a member is a Christian. If you're a believer, you're a member of God's family already. But the question is, are you going to, are you willing to, are you calling this your home and you will, you will covenant with one another to, to uh, say that this is our family and in light of this, this is what it'll look like. So that, that covenant membership should be in your mailboxes this week. But in light of that, uh, talking to some other churches who have done this well, um, it would be good if I spent some more time on talking what a healthy church member is. 
And so when we're done with Hebrews, which Lord willing is next week, starting on March 17th for three weeks, I will do a topical series, which isn't typically me, but it will be rooted in Scripture, I promise. Uh, what is a healthy church member? And I think that will help us answer some of these questions. And then finally, uh, along with that, I think it's, a, it, it's important for me and you and maybe some others to sit down and have conversations and share with each other our conversion stories. Because if the primary thing to be a member is that you are converted, then it's important for us to hear those stories. And uh, so in smaller settings, anybody who's going to be interested in, in uh, being a covenant member, I, and I'll maybe bring Lynn, or I might bring uh, your small group leader, or I might bring somebody from your men's group or something like that, and we'll sit down together, just a very small little group, and we'll have conversations of where you can ask questions. But I want to hear your story of how you came to faith in Christ. So is that clear as mud? Lynn's not here, so I can say that expression. My, my hope is, oh, Lynn is here. Oh, no. She hates it when I say that. Is that clear? Is that helpful? So that's where we're going, but I think it's important that we lay that foundation. Membership in the second piece this year is we begin to establish our first elders, and we're well on our way in that, but uh, membership is a critical piece because the members have to affirm who those elders are. Okay? Said a lot of stuff here. Let's dive into our text. We've got some work to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to the end of our chapter. And if you look at this text, uh, if you've got the ESV in front of you, you literally you have two paragraphs. Pretty simple. Two units of thought. And uh, I'm just going to divide my sermon into those two units, those two ideas, those two thoughts, okay? And the first one, the first paragraph is really a recap of of all of his teaching through the book of Hebrews. And so he's, he's literally, here are the truths that I've taught you, and he's doing this, and he's going to recap it in a creative way. And then the second section is, is, is simply not so, um, so much a, a recap, but a warning in light of these truths to act accordingly. So as I was thinking through this, trying to, okay, well, what does it look like? It's kind of like, I don't know if you watched the movie Braveheart, but you might have watched a movie similar or something like that. There, there's a scene in Braveheart where um, Mel Gibson, uh, what is it, supposed to be Wallace, right? William Wallace, he's supposed to be. He's got, he comes riding in on a horse, and on the mountain there's this innumerable number of um, English warriors, and, and the army's too big to count. And then there's this hodgepodge rag team of uh, Scottish farmers and peasants that are, are, are ready to fight the Brits. And Wallace comes in on his horse and, and some of the people are leaving and scattering and, and um, he cries out some truths. He goes, sons of Scotland is how he starts. That's who they are. And he says, you are free men. Even though they were captive, they were free, he says. And then he says, you shall be free. And he speaks to them these truths because he wants them to understand who they are. He wants, them to, he wants that to be res, resonate deep within their soul. And, and, then, and so in light of that, he says, we must fight these English. And one of the 
guy pipes up, but we'll die. And he goes, well, we might die. But if you don't, you won't be free. If you don't act, you won't be free. And at the, as you come to the end of your life and you're lying on your deathbed, you'll regret that you never, never tried. That William Wallace couldn't pr- promise them victory. Christ can and has. And in essence, our author is in, in, in his first paragraph is saying, um, Sons of Scotland, you are free. In essence, he's telling us some incredible truths that we need to hear that will, that will have an effect on how we live. You following? So what does he say? I think he's got a creative way uh, of, of recapping his teaching. He does this by contrasting between two mountains. One is Mount Sinai and one is Mount Zion. And uh, Mount Sinai, he's looking back to the Old Testament when the people of God, the Israelites, received the Ten Commandments from Moses, their mediator. And they were at Mount Sinai. And he speaks to that. And then he goes to the second mountain, Mount Zion, which is, he's speaking of a heavenly city. And he's talking to the people of God, to the Christians, to the Hebrews that he's writing to, and he's talking to us. So those are two, two contrasts. He uses those two contrasts to teach us the truths that he's unpacked throughout the book. Okay? Let's take a look at the first one. He begins in verse 18 by simply saying, For you have not t- come to what may be touched. You have not come. He says, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't your reality. This is the reality of the, of the early the Israelites. Old Testament, okay? The Hebrews. He says, you haven't come to what you cannot touch. And, and what he does is he just simply unpacks. He goes back to the time in, in Exodus 19 and in Deuteronomy chapter 4 where Moses recaps it. He goes back to that moment, that moment in history, and he says, when the people of God in the Old Testament encountered God Himself, this is what happened. This is what it looked like. They were at the foot of a mountain that they could touch. Their senses, they could touch it. Now, if they touched it, they would die. But they could touch it. They were at the foot of the mountain, and he says three things, what they could see, or four things, actually, what they could see. Notice in in, uh, verse uh, 19, They saw a blazing fire. They saw darkness. They saw gloom. And they saw a tempest or a storm. And so if you you remember that moment in, in Exodus 19 where the people of God were prepared to get the Ten Commandments from God and God encounters them on the mountain and there's a storm and there's this thunder and there's this lightning and all kinds of stuff's going on. There's this fire, a blazing fire. And there's darkness and there's gloom. They could touch the mountain, but they can't because they'll die. All their senses are being, being, being uh, awoken. If that's a word. And then not only did they 
were they at the foot of a mountain that they could touch? And not only were they at the, a, a place where they saw things, but they heard stuff. What did they hear? The text tells us they heard a trumpet. And they heard a word. What's fascinating is they have an encounter with God and they never saw God. And what's fascinating is when they heard this word, it was a word that was terrifying. In fact, listen to what the text says. And a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They heard, they heard the voice of God and they said, please Moses, don't allow us to see Him again or hear Him again. You speak for Him, but please don't let Him speak. Actually, the word beg there is actually stronger. It's the same word that we find in verse 25 where it says, see that you do not refuse Him. They literally didn't beg. They refused to hear the voice of God. Our text in verse 20 tells us why. For because they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Then verse 21 sums it up. Indeed, indeed, behold, look it. So terrifying was the sight. So terrifying was the spectacle. So, so terrifying was the event. So terrifying was the voice. But even Moses said, I tremble with fear. That word terrifying is a very word in our old English is the word awesome. That word doesn't work for us no more because everything's awesome. An awesome song, an awesome person, an awesome coffee, an awesome... But the, the word awesome means that that was reserved for God at one time. And it had this element of awestruck and this element of fear. So we have to translate it terrifying. A writer says, that's not the mountain that you've come to, Christians. That's not the covenant that you've come to, Christians. This is what you've come to, verse 22. But you, you brothers and sisters from, from previous sections, you brothers and sisters, but you, you have come. And then he begins to unpack seven pictures of something that they could not touch or hear or see with their, with, 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 with their physical being. And yet he paints seven pictures of what is true. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He's saying... Remember when we talked about faith and all those examples of individuals who heard God promise or warn and they walked in faith believing what they could not see? Well, let me tell you, this is what you've come to. And I know you can't see it, but let me paint it. 
because it's as real as that blazing fire back in Exodus 19. Look at the seven pictures that our author paints. The first pictures of a place. And, and, he, and he uses a, a several illustrations to do that. First off, he says, Mount Zion. Notice, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He uses three different phrases to, to, to unpack that you have come to a place. Present tense. Talking to this church in Hebrews, they're still alive. And he says, you've come to this place. Mount Zion. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 5, King David overtakes a hill that was, that was um, the domain of the Jebusites. That the people under Joshua's and throughout the period of the judges could not get rid of them. They were too powerful. King David comes along and he takes over the hill. He defeats them. And it's there where he sets up his residence. It's there where he brings the tabernacle and the, the, and the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And it's there where eventually Solomon will build the temple. And he calls that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, Mount Zion. So Mount Zion is the same thing as Jerusalem. But then as you start reading the Psalms, it seems like the psalmists are talking about Mount Zion. In one, in one breath, it's like they're talking about the physical place called Jerusalem. And in the next breath, as you read through the Psalms, you're going, they're talking about some other place where God has established the foundation. By the time we get to the prophets and the people of God had walked away from God and, and, and Jerusalem would be annihilated and eventually it was, the prophets begin to speak about a Mount Zion and about a heavenly Jerusalem that is to come. That is heavenly. When we get to the New Testament. We get to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We talk about Abraham. He's, he's called to go out to a place and and then we're, he's called to go to a, a, a land or a country. He's seeking a homeland. He's going to a city that's prepared. We get to the book of Revelation. We have this incredible picture of this new Jerusalem. And the writer of Hebrews says, you can't touch it. You can't see it. You can't hear it. But that's where you've come. Community Grace. Our author's saying the same thing to us. Sons of Scotland, you are free! Community Grace, you have come to this place. And yet, and yet we get to chapter 13, there's a sense where, yes, we have come, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So we have come. Why is it so certain? Because Jesus has promised it. Jesus has accomplished the work to make it happen. Maybe a better way to put it, a better description is this week I was watching a, I don't know, one of those low-grade films on the Battle of the Bulge. 
it was the theme that actually caught my attention. The acting was terrible. An older film, I don't know who, who put it out, but, but in that context, in the Battle of the Bulge, there was the, the, the massive, you know, the beaches of Normandy and, 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 and the, the Allies got onto the coast and basically at that moment, the war was over. Once they established their presence, the war was over. But they would be go for months and months and months until they got, finally got to Berlin and defeated the enemy. And in the Battle of the Bulge, the Germans had their last, like their last stand. They were going to push against the, the Americans and they were going to push through, the, through the, the, um, the line that was kind of not ready for a push. There was a huge battle at that moment and in that time. The war was over, but it wasn't. The victory had been won, but it wasn't quite there yet. And there's a sense here where, where God's saying, you have come to the city, but it's not yet. And not only does our author say we've come to a place, but the second picture that he wants to paint for us is we've come to a festal gathering. And who's in this festal gathering? Innumerable angels. And he's talking as we're already there. Innumerable angels. So in other words, we can't count the amount of angels and they are having a party. It's filled with joy. It's not one of those plastic grin face parties where everyone's pretending to be happy. This is like a legitimate, there is like a celebration going on. And the writer of Hebrews, remember, he's talking to a people that are about ready to turn away and run back to their old Jewish ways. And he says, no, 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 no. You have come to a city and you have come to a festive gathering where there's an innumerable amount of angels already present, already celebrating. But not only have they come to a place and a, and a celebration, but he goes on a little further and he says, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. What's he talking about there? What's this assembly of the firstborn? That word assembly is the same word that we get congregation. It's the same word that we get church. You have come to the church of the firstborn. In the Old Testament, the firstborn was the nation of Israel. The book of Exodus tells us that they were the firstborn of God. They were set aside for God's purposes. We come to the New Testament and Jesus is that firstborn. You see, the, 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 the Israelites didn't fulfill that, but Jesus does. And so He is the firstborn. And the reality is when we are in Christ, when we put our faith in who Christ is and what Christ did, we become the firstborn. We become brothers and sisters. And literally what our author is telling us is, is, is we have come to this, we've not only come to a place, we've not only come to this festive gathering, but we have come to an assembly, we've come to a church of the firstborn who have been enroll, enrolled in the book. And throughout Scripture, particularly throughout the New Testament, uh, I'll give you some passages, you can look them up later, but Luke 10, verse 20, Philippians 4, 3, Revelation 21, 27 any human who believes in Christ is enrolled. Their name is written down. 
it's as good as done. And, and our, our author is saying, don't walk away. This is where you've come. You've come to a place. You've come to a festive gathering. You've come to an assembly, to the church. You're in their presence. In fact, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, it's actually kind of sweet. In verse 12, you've got this picture of Jesus praising God, but he's praising God, his Father, in verse 12, to his brothers. In the midst of his congregation, he's singing praise. We the firstborn, we the church, we've come, that's where we're, that's where we're at. Now, again, our author is saying, you can't hear it, you can't touch it, you can't even see it, but this is reality. And there's a sense where we can see it. Sunday morning when we gather, we begin to see the first fruits of this. You get together for a cup of coffee and you open up God's word with another brother in Christ and, and you start talking and having that conversation. It's a church's gathering. It, it's, a, it's a little piece so we can see, but we can't see, right? But not only have we come to a place or a celebration or to an assembly, but come to God. What was missing in, in the first section? They, 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 there was a, an encounter with God, but they could not see Him. And, and our author tells us that we have come. Look at verse 23. We've come to God, the judge of all. Now that should scare us in one sense because back in chapter 10, verse 27, listen to this, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume their, the adversaries. If we're coming to God, the judge, it should be like a fearful moment, but we've just been told it's an incredible celebrating joyful gathering and we will be told that the spirits of the, the perfected and so we come to God and we don't come with our tail between our legs and we don't come a cowering we come as we we're told earlier we come boldly because of what Christ has done his work on the cross do you, you see how our author is saying, this is real, this is reality, this is now, present tense. And we taste that when we come to the Lord in prayer. We taste that when, when as, as Matt says, Lord, we don't have to pray for you to come. You're already here. So true. But when you leave this place, you are still in the presence of God. Not only does he say those things, he also goes, we, we come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. <laughs> I like that. Now he's, he's been talking about this for some time. Those who have been approved by God, lives uh, because of our faith in him. But who are these spirits? Won't be dogmatic, but probably likely those who have passed away already maybe who had been martyred in their context, people who died, but died in faith in Christ, and 
they have died and their spirit is with God, with Christ, already done, yet their, their, their physical bodies has not yet been raised because that's at the end of time when their physical body will be raised and the two will be brought together. And I think our author's comforting them, saying this is reality. But where else have they come? Notice, sixthly, is that the way to say it? Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So you guys have come to Jesus. You remember the last mediator? Right, let's, let's, let's take a peek. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. The last mediator was a guy named Moses. Listen what our author has already said about Moses. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people. Now, Moses was declaring it because the people of God could not and would not listen to the voice of God. So Moses was saying it. When, when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and the goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book by itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels and used to worship indeed under the law. Almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What's he saying? He says, that was the last mediator, but now we have come to Jesus, the new mediator, with His blood, next phrase, with His blood that has been sprinkled. Come to Jesus. How is this new blood a better word than the blood of Abel? We go back to Hebrews chapter 11. We got to verse 4. Remember that faith chapter where there's this list of all these individuals who by faith believed in God or believe what God said? The first one that's mentioned, the first individual that's mentioned is Abel. And Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. We're not told exactly what that was. And through which he was commended as righteous because of his sacrifice. He believed God, and so he did what God said, and he, commended, he offered a better sacrifice, probably a blood sacrifice. And because of that, because of his faith in what God said, he was commended as righteous. He's the first one that we are told was commended as righteous. And, and I think our author here is saying, as good as that was, and the fact that even though he's dead, he still speaks, as do all the other great men of faith and women of faith in that chapter, none of them speak like the sprinkled blood of Christ. That's where we've come. This is our author's wrap-up. This is our author's, these are the truths. This is the recap. I want you to know this and cement it in your heart and your soul. So in light of that, what do we do? Well, we don't go fight the English. So you can tell Andrew we're okay there. Okay? You see him next week. What do we do? Verse 26 starts with a warning. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Who's speaking? Hebrews chapter 12, I mean chapter 1. 
Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Who's speaking? God is speaking. God is speaking to these Jewish Christians and these Hebrew Christians. And he's saying, God has spoken to you, not on a mountain, not with a voice where you're trembling, but he has spoken to you through his Son. And that's a better word. And he says to Community Grace, God, the Creator of the heavens and the universe, has spoken to you, not at Mount Sinai, but at Mount Zion. And He's spoken to you through Jesus. And this is much better because as He's spoken to you through Jesus, He's given us a way so that we not only could if we wanted to, but, but we, we, <laughs> there's a way for us now to encounter God. That's through Christ and through Christ's work. And he's saying to these individuals that are thinking about turning their back and going back to the old ways, he's saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't refuse. Remember they begged? They refused earlier? Don't refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns them from heaven. He says, if back then that that not-so-good way of God speaking, they refused Him and they were punished, how much more will we be punished? Will we meet the judgment if we reject this voice, this, this Jesus? That's what He's saying. Don't reject him. Don't refuse him. Don't don't beg. Please don't. I don't want to hear him. So back then, the his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. He says, take a look at the kingdom that is yours, that you've already come to, that's unshakable. Don't refuse them. Listen. So in light of that, what happens? Look at Verse 28, therefore, because of all of these things, therefore let us, what? Be grateful for receiving. He's just simply saying, when you go home today and you get around the meal and you, and you pause to pray and you say, thank you, Jesus, for this food, he's also saying, Jesus, thank you that I'm already in your presence because of your Son. Father, thank you that I have my name listed in the Lamb's book. I've been enrolled. He's saying, thank you, Lord, for this new Jerusalem that I look forward to. Things right now look cloudy and dim. Uh, I don't know what's going on in our, in, our, in our country, which seems so shakable this week. But I know that your kingdom is not shakable, and that's where I've come. Thank you. That's what he's saying. We're to cry out to him and say thank you. That's why we sing. 
Thank you, Jesus. But not only are we to thank Him for a kingdom that cannot be shaken, but we're to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That does mean that we need to sing to Him with like, just like, yes, this is good, and sing at the top of your lungs, whether you're a lousy singer like me or a good singer like Jay or some of the others in this group. Because, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm worshiping Him, but it means more than just singing. Acceptable worship. If you go back to Romans chapter 12, that means every ounce of me. God, this life is yours. Do with it as you want. God, the money in my pocket and the money in the bank is yours. Do with it as you want. Father, the gifts that you've given me, would you use them in whatever way you want? Father, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will say whatever you want me to say. I am yours. That's an acceptable worship. That's what he's saying. With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You notice God hasn't changed. The same God as the Old Testament. He's still a holy God that will will judge. He's, he's to, he, we should be terrified unless we are in Christ. And then there's no need to be terrified. We just go into His presence. We don't deserve that. You could be the best preacher on the planet and it ain't enough to deserve to be in His presence. You can be the kindest and most gentlest person on the world, but that ain't enough. We need the finished work of Christ. It's only the blood of Christ that allows us to enter into the presence of our Almighty God. Oh, He's a consuming fire. But we need no fear if we have faith in His work. I could end right there, but there's it's unfortunate that we have these chapter divisions in our scriptures because it makes us think chapter 13, verse 1, new thought, new channel, new chapter, new idea, but not really. Next phrase, let brotherly love continue. A part of our acceptable worship. Part of us not turning back and leaving the flock is he says, Continue to love one another. Remain in the love that you have for one another. Don't turn away from that. Lean in. It's not a feeling. I hope there is a feeling. But it's an action. That's what love is. It's when you're seeing your brother or sister down, you pause to encourage them. That means when you have a gift that God has given you and you use it to build up your brother or sister. That means you, you, you pause and every once in a while remind your brother or sister who they are in Christ because they're discouraged or they're down or they're depressed. And you have eyes to see and you, and you remind them of those things. That, that, that's brotherly love. It's, it's active. It's, it's an action. It's something we do. And it flows out of everything that Christ has done for us. 
But that's next week's sermon. Let's pray. God, our Father, You really would have been completely right to just obliterate all of us. But for some reason, you have, in your grace and your mercy, decided to pave the way, make a way, so that we could be in your presence. Thank you. Lord, I pray that we will always be thankful for this unshakable kingdom that is very real. And Father, I pray that you'd help us now by your Spirit to take the gifts, the abilities, whatever you've given us and just give it back to you. And Father, may that start in the household of God where we love our brothers and sisters. Not giving up on doing that, but to continue in that. In your precious name we pray.